Don't talk to me about saving the world if your own house looks like shit. Don't do it. Don't talk to me about what you can do in the rest of the world or for the rest of the country, or for the rest of the community, if your own house isn't clean. Clean that up. Across the world right now, governments, businesses and individuals are dealing with extraordinary circumstances. But as traditional models are being upturned and everyday routines are being dismantled, small shoots of hope are emerging. Individuals, communities and corporations are achieving new levels of innovation every day in order to build brands, reimagine entire business models and make progress through creativity. I'm Simon Cook, the Managing Director of Cannes Lions, the International Festival of Creativity. It's the world's largest community of marketers, agencies, platforms, media owners and many more. All of them striving for true creativity in their work in order to drive business or create positive change. You're listening to Progress Through Creativity. Bozema St. John's career has been remarkable, to say the least. After working for Spike Lee at Spike DDB and PepsiCo, she joined Apple and famously presented the redesigned Apple Music platform at the Worldwide Developers Conference in 2016. She then spent time at Uber before taking up her current role of Chief Marketing Officer at global entertainment agency Endeavor. In 2018, she was also included on Forbes' list of the world's most influential CMOs. And that position of influence isn't one that she takes lightly. She is quoted as saying, I didn't get to a place of influence because I was quiet. None of us will have any impact or influence if we are quiet. So don't be quiet. Be loud as hell. In a week where global demonstrations have taken place against police brutality and racial inequality, that sentiment feels as vital and relevant now as it's ever been. During our conversation, Bose talked frankly about the position brands are taking during this time of public outcry and how they can authentically support and fight the other global pandemic and whether they even should if their own businesses don't walk the walk. As with our keynote episode earlier this week, we felt that given the circumstances, it was only right to give this conversation, but more specifically Bozma's voice, the time it so rightly deserves. And so while it's a little longer than usual, I can assure you that every second is as important and as vital as the one that came before. This is Bozma St. John. So today on Progress Through Creativity, it is my absolute pleasure to be joined by Bozma St. John. Bozma, how are you doing? Thank you so much, Simon. I'm great. I also like the way you say my last name. Um... I think with your accent, the saint becomes sent or like a sin. It is, it's quite entertaining to me. So thank <laughs> you very much for that wonderful introduction. You're very welcome. And where in the world are you right now, Bose? Tell us a little bit about your lockdown setup, if indeed we are still in lockdown, wherever you are. Yes, we are. I am in Los Angeles, California, where I have been for the last three months. It is, I would say, probably the longest time I have been at home on a continual basis, maybe for 15 years. 
which is both a sad and also inspiring stat <laughs> because certainly it has changed the way I look at uh, work from home and it has changed the way yeah. I think about how I even move around in the world because it felt very necessary in the past. And now I am rethinking what that actually means, that maybe I was making choices uh, that I didn't need to make before. So yeah, I'm at home. <laughs> Bose, I saw that just before the lockdown and before the pandemic really kicked in, that you probably took one of the last trips going, actually a trip to Ghana, um, which is something that I know that you do every year. But I know that this time you took a load of team members with you from Endeavour, quite a few people. Why were you there? Could you tell us a little bit about your trip? So, yeah, I mean, quite interestingly, um, I have been taking trips back to Ghana forever. My parents are both originally from there. I'm first generation American, uh, born in Middletown, Connecticut, a very lively city, uh, and grew up, I call my, my hometown Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is also a very lively city. And so as you can imagine, my wonderful Colorado white friends um, were always very fascinated by where I came from or where my parents came from. And I can honestly say that now as an adult and as a parent, I am even more so impressed that any of the parents of my friends at the time would allow for their kids to take an international trip <laughs> with us to Ghana. Um, and so this, this, is, this is not new for me. And I felt that, you know, because I'm a person who lives in all parts of my life as the same person, you know, I don't see the the balance, like the personal and the professional all roll together. Uh, and so that same passion and excitement that I have about Ghana and about taking friends uh, also felt like it was necessary to take my colleagues, you know, people that I work with day in, day out who represent so many parts of our business, you know, and, and I was really excited to be able to take both um both like as a as a personal, you know, representation of who I am and expanded view. And then also to figure out how to create some additional businesses that will will help our own business, you know, help our endeavor businesses, but also help the business of Ghana. So it was it was really a dream come true to get both of those uh, sides of my world together in the middle of what was beginning to be a global pandemic. So also, Simon, I would like to make note I that I am also, say, yeah. I'm also psychic. I don't know if people realize that. Um, I am beginning to understand my, psychic, ability, my psychic abilities in that I, um, I chose the perfect time, <laughs> which, which just <laughs> happened to coincide with the Independence Day of Ghana, which is March 6th. Um, but it was also the day before our company officially shut down all international travel, uh, which is when we were in Ghana. So then the question was, will we actually be able to get back? And then we landed back in the United States of America and then our borders were closed. So <laughs> I think I think we just we barely made it through. But it was so good. It was so good. It was so good. So you were one of the very last then you just got in there. So what happens then? You arrive back in the States. 
you immediately, like the rest of the country, go into a state of lockdown. Now, during the early stages of the pandemic, we saw many brands, especially, behaving in very different ways, very different. Some experienced paralysis over what to do about the virus. Some immediately threw themselves into creating PPE products, pivoting their entire businesses, and perhaps supporting those on the front line where they can. And it, it took a while, didn't it, for some of them to really find their rhythm to work out exactly what position they were going to take. Now, I know you work with many brands, especially on the media and entertainment side. During that period, what advice had you been giving brands when it came to dealing with the pandemic and having a voice around the virus? Well, this is it's such a unique situation for me personally, you know, at Endeavor, right? Because through my career, I have been, you know, the CMO of a brand, right? Um, and not that Endeavor is not a brand, but I mean like a brand that um, provides a, a good. And so now as, as the chief marketing officer of Endeavor, while I have oversight over brands like, you know, UFC and uh, Miss Universe and, you know, personal brands like The Rock <laughs> or, <laughs> or Charlize Theron or Matt Damon, um, I also occupy the seat of leading 160 over 90, which is our cultural marketing agency. And um, it is awesome because I get the opportunity to interface with so many brands and so many CMOs of the brands we represent at that agency. So I get a really good sense of not just what is happening culturally in the world, but I also get to advise my brand clients and friends, by the way, right? Because I've been in this business 20 plus years, you make a few friends um, on their businesses. And so to me, it's been, it's been really interesting to see how there have been, um, there have been, an, there's been an evolution in how quickly we need to adjust our messaging right? Before, well, we take eight weeks to create, right? A strategy. We sit on it for a little bit. You iterate on it, think of it. You know, maybe you create a plan, you create some creative. I'm being very loose here, you know, and I'm being very nonchalant. I take the process very seriously, but you know, it would take us some months, right? It'd take us some time to develop. And then it's out in the world. And hopefully you have some evergreen, you know, messaging that goes underneath like the timely and more relevant messaging. But none of that was like really urgent. You know, you do it like if it's for the Super Bowl or if it's for the final four or if it's for the holidays, you adjust and you're able to plan six months out or something. But now you create a message and it is old in two weeks. If that if that. If that, sometimes days, right? Yeah, because you've got a concentrated audience. You've got people who are consuming content constantly. You know, their burnout rate is just extraordinary. We've never seen anything like it before. And so the need to continue innovating and iterating our messages, our narratives, and to make it relevant and timely Oh my goodness, it is it is really sharp. And now it's like, you know, today, and I would say for the last week, you add on top of it, especially in the US, you know, the messages around support for the black community or understandings of racial injustice and 
putting that somewhere within your messaging so that it doesn't fall flat and doesn't sound disingenuous is a whole nother matter. You know, and so it's very interesting because now we are seeing the people who do it really well and the people who don't. It took people a while, didn't it, to find their rhythm with the pandemic. But now with the current situation, and of course, the murder of George Floyd, it's highlighted the global pandemic of racism. And we've seen a lot of brands respond to this. Again, they've had to adapt and find a position again. And the range of responses has obviously been extremely broad. I wanted to ask you, what approaches have you seen that you applaud? And then who has work to do? And we don't have to single out individual brands here, of course, just in terms of the characteristics of their approach. Oh, man, Simon, that's a hard one because, you know, I have I'm a I'm a big fan of doing something and saying something. And the something is not flippant. I don't say that casually, you know, because I think as marketers and as business leaders, sometimes we get stuck in perfection paralysis and in cancel culture fear. You know, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to do the wrong thing because then not only will your consumers and your clients and your audience come after you, but people who don't even interact with your brand will come after you. You'll find new audiences that you don't want. (laughs) You'll get attention (laughs) that you don't want. All of a sudden, it'll be like somebody never bought a pair of Nikes. All of a sudden, they're burning yours in their front lawn. You know, that's what happens. That's what happens with cancel culture. You know, and so there are a lot of companies and, you know, I say companies, but I really mean people, business leaders who are making decisions and are afraid to step out in front because they don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to get attacked, especially on the heels of like what we've been dealing with with the pandemic. Businesses are already suffering. You know, it's like maybe you're one of the 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 more fortunate ones whose business is not affected by COVID, but almost all of ours are. And why would you take the additional risk of having lost revenue? And then now you've got to say a statement about a very controversial issue, which you may be feeling terribly about as a human being. But now you have to act as a business leader and you want to separate yourself from those emotions so that you don't make a mistake. And I'm I'm counseling people and imploring them to remain human. Stop thinking about it as this brick and mortar brand. We're talking about human beings. We are human beings. You're talking to other human beings. That's the only way that you can move forward without that kind of paralysis. You know, if you think about people who ask you how you're doing and really mean it, that's the way I want our business leaders to think about this. You know, the same people who have called me as a black woman over the past week and have asked me how I am doing and have paused, not waiting for the like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, but have paused to wait for the real answer. That is the kind of emotion, that's the kind of behavior that we need to impart in this very moment. Whether you're talking about COVID or you're talking about Black Lives Matter, 
You know, it is it is the same emotion. We're talking about very human things. And so I want to remind us that that's essentially what we need to do. And therefore, the people who are winning, the brands who are winning, and I feel are doing a great job, are the ones who are talking as human beings, you know, who are talking about the feelings of fear and anxiety, the need for comfort and security, the need for justice. Those are the people who are winning. The ones who are not are the ones who talk like they're talking from a cardboard box <laughs> with no feeling and no emotion. You know, we know who those are. You know what I mean? The ones who just, it feels as if they just, you know, like copied and pasted from some board somewhere. It's so anti-marketing and anti-coms. You know, sometimes when I see these, I was just like, oh man, what you did was you wrote the thing, you looked at it 1700 times, you pass it through 12 people, and then you came out with this very vague and horrible statement. You know, if you would just let your emotions do the talking, you'd probably get it right. You know, you don't get it perfect, but you'd be closer than what you have right now. And what about yesterday, especially because we had Blackout Tuesday with many brands posting black squares on Instagram, pledging their initial support. I imagine there will be two different types of brands that emerge from this. And correct me if I'm wrong. There's obviously those who back it up and take action as well as posting their initial support. And there'll be those that don't for whatever reason. What kind of incentive is needed for them to take action internally within their business? Does it need to be financial? Because let's face it, some business leaders are only going to listen to brass tacks. Can we be optimistic enough to believe that those who do take action now, especially internally, will benefit commercially in the long run? And is that the incentive that we need to make people aware of? And what are the proof points that we have? You know, that's a whew, that's a also a very layered question, Simon. Um, and I'm going to give you a layered answer, right? And some of it begins before all of this, which is that we've been asking ourselves as business leaders why diversity and inclusion is important, right? I, you know, you give like sort of the flippant answer, which is that like, of course it's important because we care and because it's important to have all kinds of people represented, but we don't do it. There are white papers all over, everywhere, <laughs> which tell you why it's important. You know, not just from being a human and moral, but for your business. Like it makes good business sense to have diversity and inclusion as part of your workforce and part of your leadership teams and part of your boards. Yet we still don't do it. <laughs> we still don't do it. And so it makes me question a little bit whether or not this is the moment that causes that change. We are certainly seeing a reaction that is unlike anything I've seen before. I've been a black woman all my life. Surprise, surprise. I've never seen anything like this before, you know, where business leaders are making the decision to speak out. You know, perhaps, I mean, I've made some guesses, right? Perhaps it's the outrage from a community and a group of people who don't understand how it is that March, this past March in the U.S. was the first time since 2002 that there have been no school shootings. Yet somehow, Black people are still getting shot, murdered. Like, how is that possible? We're all at home. Like, how is it possible? You know, and the fact that there is no stat... <laughs> 
that shows the decrease in police brutality is crazy because now you have police coming into the home to kill people. Breonna Taylor was killed that way and she was an essential worker. Imagine that. Like, that's that's crazy. It's mind boggling. It should make us all infuriated. And so I believe that at this point, you know, even though we heard the news and saw the reports that COVID was having a disproportionate effect on black people, um, I think coupled with the outrage around the fact that you know, we have this racial injustice and police brutality that is also disproportionately killing black people. Those two things combined create a very serious situation that everybody needs to pay attention to. And so my hope, because I am an optimistic person, is that although we are in such a state of anger, disgust, and real need for reconciliation, that business leaders will see this as not just another marketing opportunity to look good and that they will actually make systematic changes. And I know that everybody wants to save the world. Everybody who does. I've been asked a gazillion times, what do I do? You know, and, and now because uh, I talk bluntly, Simon, I don't know if you've been able to tell or not, but I do. I speak quite bluntly, which is that, you know, don't talk to me about saving the world if your own house looks like shit. Don't do it. Don't talk to me about what you can do in the rest of the world or for the rest of the country, for the rest of the community. If your own house isn't clean, clean that up. You know, you have all the proof. You have the white papers that tell you that diversity and inclusion is good for your business. So actually implement that. Create programs that will continue to diversify your workforce. And in doing so, we'll do a better job of continuing to support a community that has for far too long been disproportionately and systematically depressed. And also thinking about this from an industry level. So going through the pandemic, we were inundated by that message. We heard it time and time again. We're in this together, wafting out over gentle piano music usually. It sort of signaled this new positive momentum for change are coming together. Now, since then, we've talked about what needs to be done at a brand level, and we've also touched on what we can do on an individual level. What needs to be done at an industry level? Because, of course, everyone needs to get their own houses in order, and there'll be a variety of different approaches to that. But what can we do collaboratively as an industry? Well, I mean, it's, it's partly what we have always known to do, but probably have not been doing a good enough job of, one which I've already discussed, which is in like, you know, what do what do your your own houses look like? You know, are they diverse? Do you have representation? If they don't, this is really the moment to take a good look. Right. Because, first of all, there's accountability. And so if you've put up messages and although I just said before, it's like put up something, say something. Well, now you got to do something about it, you know, especially if what you said on the outside doesn't match what is going on on the inside. And then on top of that, I think as an industry, we've got to start looking at, you know, even even what what um, we judge people about, you know, the, the work, the narratives that we tell. How do they how, what what narratives are they actually telling? You know, are they diverse messages? Are there diverse casts? You know, are we telling all kinds of stories? Are we telling one type of story? You know, and even even for us, I mean, it's a question that we should ask ourselves, which is that and how are we judging that work? 
you know, are we judging it yeah. in that yeah. lens? And it's a, yeah. it's something that we will have to seriously contemplate. And so I think as an industry, we also have to keep each other sort of a, accountable. You know, I really loved when um, Adidas retweeted and commented on Nike's post. Um, what, a, what an interesting time, right? And what an interesting catalyst. Who would have thought that this was the catalyst to get two giants to do that? But perhaps you need to do that some more, you know, especially in relation to this particular virus. Because it's not just the virus of COVID-19, but the virus of inequality that maybe it's time for us to stop looking at each other like competition and figure out how we truly come together to stop what we know is a grave ill that is happening to us as a society and then in our industry. I wanted to touch on something you just said there, which was around the role of creativity and the role of marketing in actually shaping culture and its role in creating the change that we want to see in the world. Because let's face it, narratives and stories are important. We were obviously due to hold our own awards later this month, They're not going to happen. You're going to have to wait until 2021 for that. But hopefully you'll be joining us as a judge as we planned for this year. And if indeed we are allowed to come together, and we hope that we are, what kind of lens will you be encouraging your fellow jury members to adopt when judging the work? Sorry, I realise that's another toughie. Yeah, another toughie. Man, you're you're good with these toughies. Um, this was, this was not a walk in the park for sure. Um, I, uh, I, I, I would continue, you know, on what we had just discussed about having the lens of equality as one of the major, major filters to which we judge the work, you know, and I'm not just talking about equality from maybe the buckets that we'd already you checked off, you know, the ones which are top of mind, but, you know, really getting to the hard stuff, the nuance of it, you know? So it's not just like, oh, well, look, there goes another black actor or, oh, they have this kumbaya up here in this spot. You know, it's like, there's one of everyone, you know, it's not that it is the deeper nuanced narrative and the storytelling. So if, for instance, um, I read, somewhere, I'm actually not sure where, so I can't give credit, but that um, police officers are the most developed character on TV, right? Um, And they are by far, obviously, one of the most complicated characters on TV as well, you know? So the development allows the breadth of good to bad. We've seen all kinds, right? And the ones that are bad, but you fall in love with, the ones that are good that you don't think do enough, right? The ones that save and the ones that hurt. So like we've seen all of the different variations. Well, can we look at other characters, you know, within our narratives that that allow such breath? You know, can we judge narratives based on that kind of intricacy? You know, that we're not just looking for the sort of superficial casting of, you know, diversity, but in true storytelling, you know, what what are the narratives? You know, how are we shifting people's consciousness about any particular idea? I would love to have more creativity 
around our current moment, you know, because I think, again, sometimes we shy away from um, getting really specific in fear that either it won't be relevant or we won't be able to use it for enough time or whatever else. But I'm going to absolutely encourage my fellow judges to be evaluating based on nuanced narratives that help to further our social discussions around inclusivity. And that they, we're not just looking at this from a superficial standpoint. I don't care that there are two black actors and one Hispanic one and, oh, the, they're actually speaking French in this spot. You know, it's like, what is the story that we're telling? And even if they're an all Latino cast, uh, what is the what is the story that perhaps gives us a different perspective in culture or in society that will allow for our audiences to get a different peek at the realities of people who we may not always see. And that should be the benchmark by which we judge everything. Looking ahead, you said earlier that you're a very optimistic person, and I think that's an amazing trait to have, and it's very needed right now. Looking ahead then, the road is very uncertain, but based on your experience, what are your predictions for the next three to six months for brands specifically, and how can they prepare for what's coming? You know, the, the thing about optimism is that, you know, anything in excess is bad. <laughs> even optimism <laughs> you know it's like you ever eat a lot of sugar probably makes you sick sometimes well listen i have and it's not good for you okay it'll make you sick you'll want to throw up it's the same thing for optimism like too much of it make you want to throw up and so we have to balance it you know with some of the realities of what we have in our world um and one of the one of the one of the benchmarks that I have for myself, even as an optimist, and that um, I look at the world through, especially as I'm trying to make predictions on what is coming, is, of course, the negative sides of everything that we have going on in our world, right? Um, because, of course, people, human beings, and at the end of the day, need hope in order to survive. I mean, it's it's the basic thing that we all aspire, you know, it's why we get up in the morning. It is why we keep going even when it is raining outside and you have to make it to the next block. You know, the hope that you're gonna get inside is what keeps you going. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't continue walking. You just sit down and drown, you know? Um, but that's not what we do. We keep moving because we're hopeful. And so my optimism is balanced by understanding that things are not going to be the same. There is no return to normal, right? And that perhaps is a duh statement because I think we've all realized that by now. It only took us two months to realize that there was no going back to normal. <laughs> you know, that like, by the way, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you still think things are going back to normal, I'm sorry to disappoint. You know, this is this is the spoiler alert. <laughs> things are not going back to normal. They are absolutely not. But what that means is that we've also have to rethink um, our open spaces if they are open. Right. Um, one of the responsibilities I have at Endeavor is also operating our fashion events business. And that will never be the same, you know, not only because it's not just about going perhaps digital, 
is that live stream mm, isn't what it was. You know, nobody likes that. Like, let's all just admit it now. You know, just just get over it. Nobody likes a live stream. They don't like it. You know, we, we only we only watched it because we had to, you know. But now, now that we have to, we're going to have to change it because it's not going to be engaging yeah, any longer. Yeah. You know, so my prediction for the next three months is that we are all going to have to readapt even as our borders and our cities open up again. We're going to have to readjust to a new reality. You know, the fact that people's habits have changed. As much as they want to return back to what they were, they are not going to. You know, my desire to hang out with my girlfriends on a Friday night is something I hope to do. But the reality is that do I want to be in a crowded bar sitting next to a stranger who may cough because they just sipped their wine badly? And now I look at them like they have the plague. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in that. I'm still concerned about my 11 year old daughter and my 69 year old mother, you know, and I don't, I don't want to bring them anything that might harm them. And so I think we have to consider the fact that people's behaviors will change, even though we are all open again, you know, and what does that mean for, again, like our language and our actions and our events and all of the ways in which we communicate, you know, and, and if you are not already thinking about how to make some of the temporary ways in which we are acting now permanent, then you're behind the eight ball. And so my prediction is that things are never going back to normal. We should consider how to continue acting as if we are on stay at home orders for the balance of the year and behave as such. You know, that um, even if they are lifted, I don't believe people's behaviors are going to change that much. They might be out and about. They may run into the store because they haven't done it in a long time or run to the bars because they haven't done so in a long time. But they're going to return home because they're going to be afraid of the other people. And so how do we get ahead of some of that behavior so that we provide solutions that will allow them to still do the things they're doing now and feel safe? So you haven't been going out with your mates on a Friday night to let off steam. So what have you been up to? What are you doing to stay sane right now within the lockdown? And also, what are you learning about yourself? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, I mean, it's super, super personal. I have been on a fitness journey for some time, <laughs> trying to get myself, well, first it was about vanity, if we're being totally honest. Um, which whatever, it's not that bad, right? It helps your body too. Um, but now it's about endurance, <laughs> you know, now it's about not just physical endurance, but mental endurance. Sure. The only, you know, the only movement I'm making typically during the day, aside from my exercise is from my office couch to my living room couch. Right. Um, but at the same time, the endurance of having to you know, physically be engaged on these, you know, video conferences and conference calls and, you know, thinking through strategies and all of the other pressures that I don't think we recognize enough, like how, how much of a toll they have on our bodies is actually what I am most focused on making sure I pay attention to, you know, making sure that I have the endurance and just, you know, from my own sort of like mental wellness, you know, also trying to make sure that I'm aware of that. 
because of all of the movement that I used to that I used to make, <laughs> you know, given what I said about, you know, not having been home consistently for this length of time and over a decade, you know, I'm I'm learning about how to maintain, you know, in this quote unquote stillness that it's actually not still. But how do I, you know, take care of myself? I think the hashtag self-care was probably something I, I threw away. You know, it sounded really good. It sounded like I should just go to a spa and get a massage, you know, but it means so many different things. You know, it's like, what content am I putting into my brain? You know, because it's like, listen, you can only watch the news, but so much. Um, how much am I inspired, you know, by others' work or where am I getting that inspiration from? Because quite honestly, I really love to people watch. I'm one of the greatest ear hustlers on the planet. You know, I can sit in an airport and catch so many conversations. I love it so much. Um, but now I don't have that, you know, so where, where are you getting inspiration from? You know, the content that I'm watching, um, social media has become so much more important to me because it's where I'm able to get um, a lot of my inputs, right, on what's happening in the world. And I used to do that anyway, right? It's like you wake up, you open Twitter, see what's going on, see what's trending. Um, but now it's like, it's a must, right? You really understand what's happening. So I think it's just for me, it's like really understanding where my inputs are coming from and taking care of my, my own wellness to make sure that I am not just surviving this current situation, but that I'm actually going to thrive because of it. I'm going to ask you this question, which you've sort of semi-covered already, but I end every podcast with this question. So here goes. Bose, what are you hopeful about? Hmm. What am I hopeful about? Oh, man. Um, could be a small thing, could be a big thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give you a little bit of a cheesy answer. But, you Go know, it. it's, it's true. Um, I'm really hopeful for our future generations. You know, I have an 11-year-old daughter. She just turned 11 a few days ago. Um, and she's really smart. You know, I'm not just biased in saying that. She's really, really smart, um, really in tune with the world and what's going on. I think because, you know, they they're growing up in a different in a different way to communicate than than we did. Well, let me just speak for myself. I'm 43. So definitely from where I grew up, you know, it's like we were not as connected. You were so connected, I think, to your very small inner circle or your community, you know, those who you touched immediately, whereas like she has access globally, you know, and these social media platforms and video platforms allow her to have inputs that are much broader than I ever had at that age. Right. And so she's able to understand concepts of humanity in a deeper way than I ever was at that age. Um, and because of that, I see her being very insightful about even what we're going through right now, you know, that she has really, really, a really good understanding of it, um, again, in ways that I just did not at that age. And so it gives me a lot of hope that um, our future generation will be able to not just do things that we haven't done, you know, because I think that every generation that comes is a little bit better than the last, you know, in terms of how we get along with each other, although it doesn't currently feel like like that. You know, it's like I, I've talked to John Lewis, who is a not just a civil rights activist, but um, 
you know, a, a legend in the space of of justice and equality. Uh, he's a congressman. And, um, you know, he marched with Martin Luther King. And if you ask him, he would say that we've come a long way. <laughs> it may not feel like a long way, but we've come a long way, you know. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that um, even as they are experiencing this crazy time of, you know, COVID and understanding the implications of it, that they will behave differently than we did. And that maybe this will accelerate some of the changes that we need to see. Um, but at the same time, I hope that we don't fuck it up for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we are still their role models. They're still looking at us, you know? And so if we behave but, poorly, yeah. um, the acceleration of how they are able to make changes in the world will be impeded by us. So I really hope we get out of the way, you know? Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, let's just get out of the way. Just just shut it down, people. Just don't 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 bother the kids. Bose, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I really look forward to meeting you in person, hopefully at Can Lions next year when you come and judge for us. And we get to celebrate work that hopefully points towards a new narrative. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Simon. This is really an important conversation. Um, not just because I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that reason as well. Come on. No, but it's so important. And I'm, I'm really, really glad for this podcast and um, for the work that you're doing. So thank you for allowing me to have a voice here. Um, and I certainly will be looking forward to the other voices that you continue to record. So thank you. And hopefully see you soon with some rosé. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you, Bose. So much thanks to Bose for taking the time to give her voice to our platform and her thoughts about the changing world around us. This week has been a time for both protest and reflection, and it's not always easy to put thoughts into words and offer perspectives on this. So a big thanks to Bose for giving up her time to educate and to share her raw, honest, and I'm sure you'll agree, extremely eloquent point of view with us. There were so many very important points there, I just want to take time to highlight a few of them. For brands who feel paralysed by the situation, resist the temptation to draft and redraft your way into inhuman obscurity. Avoid the cut and paste culture and speak up, make mistakes, learn from them and do better. Bozma puts it so well when she says you have to stop thinking about your brand as simply bricks and mortar. Start giving it a human voice that speaks to the feelings and emotions that people are going through. By doing that, you can move beyond the paralysis of not saying anything to saying something recognizable, relatable, and sometimes forgivable. Let your emotions do the talking. Together as an industry, we do have the power to impact this virus of inequality. And one way we can do that is to accept that creativity has the power to create the change we want to see. When it comes to our storytelling, the choices we make prescribe meaning to the narratives, to the characters, and to the copy that we put into the world. We're not going back to normal. As Bose puts it so eloquently, we keep moving because we have hope that things will change. We're experiencing a moment of change right now and something many of us, including Bose, have never seen before in our lifetime. Don't talk about saving the world when your own house looks like shit. I don't think there's anyone who can put their hand up right now and say that they have a show home. 
This is a historic moment and we all have work to do if we want to be on the right side of history. Thanks once again to Bose, of course, and to our series producers, Roland Bodenham and Annie Smith. To our friends and community all around the world, and especially those who are experiencing frustration and sadness firsthand, take care of yourselves. Thank you.